Howdy, welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the opportunity to speak with Rachel Jankovic to talk about her brand new webinar for moms coming later this month. If you listen and you want to sign up and you want to join the webinar live, head to the link in show notes. Caleb will make sure that it's in there and that you can sign up today. If you want to get more familiar with Rachel, you can find several past webinars on Canon Plus, as well as all of her audiobooks. Go check it out at mycanonplus.com. Without further ado, meet Rachel Jankovic. Well, now welcoming on special guest, a recurring guest now, Rachel Jankovic. <laughs> Rachel, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, you were the very first person to ever come on the podcast. It's one of my biggest claims to fame. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's in the CV. Yeah, I, when you mm -hmm, go places. Mm -hmm. <laughs> actually, whenever I sign an email, right? It's on first there. guest yeah. of. Uh, so uh, we wanted to have you on to talk about your webinar for March that's coming up. Do you mind introducing yes. us to to what that is? No, I don't mind. Um, it is a detox for the modern mom pair. It's Mothering, but specifically aimed at clarity in a time. So many mothers that are young mothers right now are doing it in an age that's been shaped by social media in a way that is kind of unprecedented. It's something that has not happened before. Back when I was a young mother with a bunch of little kids, it was not even, not even kind of an influence. It's not a thing. And I think that that has made a lot of bad teaching bad things look beautiful look like we put it in a nice filter so we think that undisciplined toddlers actually are always having a great time but they're not you know like there's a lot of lies that are You're out in social unhappy. media yeah no i'm i'm saying that i think christian moms need to be very aware of what are the actual principles that are found in scripture and just i would say constantly asking that question of what are they saying? And is it true? Like, this is not true. This is not the way I'm going to mother my children. So when uh, you've been doing uh, at least sort of content for moms for a, lo a long yeah. time, mm -hmm. what's been the arc? How have you seen things move? You said this, most of these things you're going to talk about wouldn't have been things when you wrote Loving the Little Years. Right. Well, they might have been things. So, but they would not have been, I would say, perpetrated at such a massive scale. So there was a time. This is kind of my joke about the Enneagram anyways. There was a time that if you wanted to get into the Enneagram, you would have needed to go to Hastings to the occult section. Right. And that might have given you some clues about what you were doing. <laughs> like, like there, that okay, would have been yeah. there, right? Yeah. So now we have this situation where the, it comes to you, right? Like a mother who might actually be very witchy and into crystals or right. something. You don't necessarily know that they're they're coming to tell you how to feed your baby or how to yep. like how to process sleep and yep. the toddler or something. And you just don't necessarily have as like I think that that would not have happened in the era when I first had. So my oldest is 17. When I had my first four really close together, that was not the way it was happening. There was the Internet. But yeah. it was not this kind of right. a part of our lives at all. So um, contextless and then those kind of things have been now, without the context, been made more appealing. And more appealing because they're so visual. They're beautiful. And a lot of time, very curated and very fake, right? Like it's very, it's not actually real. 
Yeah. But it is persuasive sometimes. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's not actually supposed to be a webinar that's all about Instagram. It's just about it's just about the fact that all parenting should be founded in scripture, that what you're doing is founded in scripture, not other places. So I am not a mother. No. Yeah. Get out. But anytime I start, anytime, uh, I think I've told you before, anytime I hear like the, when, uh, if I go home and I'm with my friends and the, all the mm-hmm. moms sort of mm-hmm. go off to one side and if I just happen to traffic through on the way to the kitchen yeah, and I would hear all the discussions happening, it sounds like a minefield of all <laughs> kinds of things that I don't even know about. So I, uh, what what can you t- so if it's I imagine you're not necessarily talking about the enneagram either. No, what enneagram are, wasn't was just a side comment. What are the kind of topics you'll be covering, or what? Uh, okay, so what I'm hoping to talk about is just some of the basics of structure, authority, responsibility. So what your role actually is that you're actually filling an office as a mother to a child, and what does that mean? Like, who are you responsible to for the way that you do this? And who are you trying to honor? Like, who? Got what it. are you trying to do? So that's obviously stuff that's found in the scripture. Well, at least one of the weeks we're going to talk about modern myths of mothering that are happening right now. So things that I see a lot are little random, I don't know if you call them a meme or posts or whatever, that are very um, child psychologists. Okay. Right? Like, this is a real thing in and mothers, Christian mothers buying into it makes sense why unbelieving mothers would because they're trying to make sense of chaos with their What's an example children. of one? Okay, so things like uh, a toddler who's lying is actually only exploring their own agency. This is not okay. actually like sin or um, children being really selfish. That's because they're feeling threatened. by. So it's always like an emotional interpretation of how, why, basically why discipline would be the worst, most hateful, Got abusive it. thing you could ever do to a toddler who was obviously not sinning, right? right. So when people are like, this is Got not it. sin. And I think that that's just really obviously contradicted by scripture. So we don't need to, some of that, I think what happens is that mothers are very sentimental, very emotional. Someone telling you you are an abusive mother actually hits hard. If they say, so. Yeah. If they say you let your baby cry themselves to sleep, like they will be traumatized for life. You have broken their trust in you. You are abusing this little person that needed you and you, you know, like, so yep. it's so loaded and it is so women are very afraid, very fearful of being judged as mothers. And then they, in a panic, are like, tell me what I am supposed to do. And then you just buy into all of these things that are totally unfounded in scripture, totally not, you know, it's just like, we don't, we don't stop to say, well, why, why is this the case? Right. Okay. So that we'll put the link to the webinar in the description. So everyone can go find that. What, so since the last time you've been here, yeah. At that time, you'd written Yoohoo. Yeah. And I believe we spent a lot of the time talking about the criticisms that the and feedback that the book had gotten. What has your life been since then? <laughs> oh, nothing. I just been <laughs> I just been sitting around doing nothing. Man, since Yoohoo came out, mostly I am still a full time mother myself. Mostly. I have uh-huh. seven children. So I guess probably since I was on there, did did we move into our new house since then? Maybe we did. Maybe. That took a lot of work. We yeah. had furniture for like one room of that house when we first got there. Lots of, I do lots of, my life is really primarily at home. I am writing, I'm doing the master's in 
creative writing right. and that stuff. Doing that and just carrying on, carrying on. But yeah, yeah. So we've done several webinars since. Yeah. Uh, I was instructed, and this is my oh, hands are tied. Oh Brian's no, Brian's on the Jake, org chart. No. <laughs> Brian, I respond. You know, <laughs> I thought I was like, is he trying to give me an opportunity to bring this up? One of my big projects that I'm yeah. not really effectively working on right now. Uh, well, you have several. I have a bunch of projects. You have several projects going. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the which is uh, a kid's a kid's book. Yeah, well, I'm not working on that anymore. It's off to be illustrated, so that's good. I Sir just Bad-a-Lot knew that that for little boys. That's true. Okay, Sir, Sir Bad a lot. That is a kid's book that has been on my what I don't even know what I would call it somewhere in the back of my mind for way too long. So I finally, finally just made myself get that done real okay. quick. Did Sir Bad a lot. Sir Bad a lot. Yeah, because it was Shad who who I originally called Sir Bad-a-Lot. Okay. And he is in fourth grade now. So, it. you know, it's that. Yep. I was a little behind the times on that one. I have the pleasure sometimes of turning around and looking at Forrest's computer and him telling me this is Rachel's Sir Bad-a-Lot oh, book. Oh, yeah. So, well, I should go in and look at Forrest's computer and find out how that's going. Yeah. So that's coming out, hopefully. What Brian was rudely wanting to bring up on the podcast Very is rudely. how is the contributions to future women going? Yeah. which we've been delinquent on. That's supposed to be mom and Becca and myself. Okay. And I have some chapters to write still on that. I've written some chapters. I just <laughs> have to write some more chapters. So um, Future Women, part of the family series at Canon Press. Pastor yes. Wilson wrote Future Men. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess would just Pastor Wilson and your mom have written most of the family series. Yes. And this would be sort of the first break this would be, well, mom would still be yep. still writing it, but Becca and I also contributing. Joining in to future women. I guess between us, we have a lot of daughters. Yeah. Yeah. We have, well, if you count Becca and I for right. mom, then it's nine daughters. Super exciting. It's a lot. Yeah. Well, we need to get that done. We need it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those ones that has not, that keeps being on the back burner instead of on the, like you take a few minutes to put it on the front burner and you're like, right. all right, push it back to the back burner. Uh okay, so there's future women, Sir Bad a lot, which is finished. Yeah, uh, at least on your end. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else exciting that you're, oh, you're man. up to? I have a bunch of stuff that's in the that's not in the um because I'm in the creative writing. I'm writing that's a right. satire novel. I'm writing okay. a first fiction okay. novel. That's a new experience. I'm actually pretty confident that I will feel as embarrassed when that is published as I was of loving the little years. I eased off of my panic about loving the lawyers through the time, but I think publishing a novel will feel that way. Did that you, like, oh man, I hope no one reads this. <laughs> did you feel the same when you wrote Fit to Burst? No, but loving the lawyers, I didn't have. I was a younger mom. I was very not thinking. I I wasn't used to a voice like my own voice in writing. Okay, you know, it was just yeah. more. It felt more like, and I had no time to edit it. That was the real heart of the problem. That was a really weird time where I persuaded myself I'd have a lot of time to edit it, but I didn't. But low. But no. And I wrote the whole thing in two weeks. That was my deadline. And I, two weeks, well, this is how I time when Loving the Lawyers happened. Blair was sitting in the bumpo chair beside my computer. Every time I was writing, I had a little baby looking at me, waving rattles in my face while I was, you know, feeding her fruit puffs or whatever. And uh, so... That one was more, and then I thought I'd have time to edit it, and then I had one, af- not even, it like got to me in the afternoon, and I had until lunch the next day to edit the manuscript. Crazy. And the woman that they sent it off to to edit it only edited like typos and wrote on the front the only pushback 
she wrote on the front of it was, this is a very helpful book. And I was really expecting like, what is this? Where are you right, going with this right. horrible metaphor? Stop here. Yep. I hate this chapter. That's uh-huh. what I was expecting. And then I had part of a day. I don't even, I think it was maybe to get it out by Christmas or something. There was some okay. kind of a reason that it was really crazy. printed it out of house too, so. Yeah. The most substantial editing that happened on that was me on the phone with Aaron Wrench. Like we were not even writing out the changes. He'd be like rereading a paragraph. Like, does that sound better? And I'd be like, well, switch this. <laughs> like, and, That's uh, awesome. Oh, yeah. It was really funny. It was a very good entry book. But whatever the case, I'm happy about it. I'm happy about it now because it was a good, I don't pour over that book. I let it go. I was like, God, use this as you will. Maybe your satirical novel will, will have just as a equal wholesome ending. And as, as, as this, you know. I actually think the satire, writing a satire that in any way is about women's ministry, which this is okay. about that. It's okay. not, to, I mean, but it's about women's encouraging stuff. Okay. Part of the satire. I just think that that's me really. It's like, I don't know if you have a chance to be the most hated evangelical woman, should you take it? I mean, <laughs> It's kind of a joke. It's a joke because that's not why I would write it ever. It's a joke. But it is a joke, guys. I I think mostly I think it's important. I just it's writing. I want to write fiction if I can write fiction. And we'll see how that happens if it works out. But to do exactly the same things that I already care about and I'm already doing. It's a different tool for the same same ends. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask. I think I heard you say one time. I mean, you actually have a, a deep interest into writing. And oh, yeah. fiction and other things mm-hmm. like that. And not that what your books have, the books you have published, aren't actually the, some of the things you're really super interested in, in terms no. of form. Is that but right? But I think, yeah, that's true. But I think if I had if I had, had my way, and aren't we all glad that I did it? You know, like, yeah. that's just always the way it is. You're like, I'm glad God did what he did. I always have loved poetry, loved literature, love writing. The way that my own writing came about was a really brutal stripping back of my own ideas of what it would be for. So uh, when Cannon asked me to write a book on mothering, I didn't want to write about mothering. I didn't have any desire to be a mothering encourager author. I didn't didn't read those books. I didn't have a (laughs) desire to write them. I'm not. um, I cared very much about I cared very much about the topic. Yep. I just had no interest in the literature of the topic. That okay. Makes sense. Yep. And I never saw myself in that role. I didn't. It's not like I had a fantasy about being an author either. I didn't. Sure. I was busy doing other things. But I, if you'd said you get to write a book, what would it be? It would not have been that. That was not my. That would not have been my plan. It, <clears throat> probably I would have been interested in a design of some kind of poetry like this is like this this was back when i was still young and ignorant about the real things of life (laughs) i'm just saying i think god spared the world a lot of things by having me having me go through yeah how it did but instead of sending your poetry manuscript instead of getting into that instead of that god was like how about you have twins now too and just like god just diverted what i thought i was doing with myself okay um we had a Anyways, what I'm trying to say is when Cannon asked me to write that book, I didn't want to. And my husband said, you should. I think you should do it. So since it was a two-week deadline, I did it. That's fine. But it was a thing because it was 
because it really embarrassed me because I did not, because I actually do care about writing. Sure. And everyone, I think everyone will agree that Loving the Little Years <laughs> reads think. like breathless bulletins oh, okay, that, that yeah. was written in a closet or from a bathroom. Sure. Like, and it does because that's actually what my life was. Like, yep. it literally is that way. Um, and I, it was nothing about it gave me any kind of literary pride. <laughs> like, I think it was years before I could even, yeah. I would not look in it. I didn't want to read it. I was like, don't make me see that. I sure. don't want to know. But it was so good because I ended up, really because I kept deferring the real moment. I kept being like, I'll have time to edit it. It will be okay. I'm like, yeah. just chill out, Rachel. You'll edit it and it won't be so embarrassing after you've edited it. Then I had no time to edit it. Then I was like, at least no one will read it chill out. Nobody will ever see this book. It will never see the light of day. And then it really has sold a lot of copies through the years. And I think it was good because I actually I actually even remember where I was standing. I was so worked up about this it actually going to print. Like I was like, no. You remember that? where you were standing when you learned that it was off to print? No, I remember. I just remember being in the living room. I think I was on the phone with Nate because Nate was in, at the time more involved in canon and he was He's like, nah, you got to do it. And I'm like, no, this is terrible. <laughs> um, but what happened, which is great, is that I it really broke whatever. I remember the moment of saying, if I put all of my literary pride or all of my desire to appear to be able to write, and then I put in the balance against that one mom is convicted of her bad attitude. Sure. It's worth it. Like every ounce of my pride about my own writing. Like, right. what was that ever worth? Yeah, Nothing. It, it, it seems. Yeah, it seems like it did work out to the sense of, I mean, the, the Galatians principle about, you know, you were not necessarily motivated to go on this mothering tour. No, no I was not. But it probably meant to some degree you were qualified to maybe speak to it to some. Maybe, but it was, I think that God used that book almost entirely because of how much I hated it. Like, I think, I think that, <laughs> I think that the, that I had, I actually had to think that literally all of my pride over here, say it helps one person sure. with one, in one way, it's worth it. That was good because it did force me to a point of actually praying about it and being like, Lord, do what, whatever you want to do with this, do with it. And I will be all right about it. Like, I will sure. just be fine with it. And I think that I know that that really did break something in me that was, like I said, God sparing the world of whatever it was sure. that I could have gotten into right. writing. But since that time, as I think is always the case with things that God asks you to lay down, that you have to lay down, you know, like that you have to be like, all right, I give that up and I'll do it gladly. A lot of the time you get a little bit older and it's picking it back up. That is the sacrifice. Yeah. Like, it's like being like, okay, so since loving the little years, I, that broke me, but I haven't, I had no trouble at all moving into using emoticons. Like I'm, I am in no way still enchanted with my own writing. Sure. So I love, <laughs> I think God yeah. made me, okay. made me appreciate writing as a tool to actually accomplish, like something I do care about. It's actually a tool to encourage people, to get people to like, you know. Did and, it work? Yeah. And he made me appreciate that. And I think it's way more important than a tool to self-express or a tool to create something. Bear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or a tool. I wouldn't have wanted to do that. Oh, sure. But I think, sure. I don't know what I would have wanted to do, honestly. It's hard to remember. But the, my point here is really that I love words. I always have this is a time in my life where I'm trying to come back like to 
push myself to try yeah. to do things that I, and I know it won't be the same as if I really was trying to become a serious novelist without having done Pants on Fire emoticon times in the, you know. Yes. I'll never yeah. be that kind of a serious, <laughs> a serious writer now. Uh, Ruined my own chances. If I remember correctly, a few years ago on the What Have You podcast, which you do with Becca still, yep. mm -hmm. it was you that read Peace Like a River and, yeah. and Becca didn't want to. Has she yeah. since? Have we got an update no, she on won't do it? <laughs> and anytime I'm like, this is a really good book, you should read yeah. this book. She's like, well, I can tell you right now I won't. This is, this is not because I don't actually know what that is because she does read. She's not. Of course, um, yeah. I, I just mean that makes it sound like she's she does illiterate. Read, but yes. She's not at all. She does read. But I think it's specific things that I really think are beautiful. Okay. That. I actually, I actually don't know. I think the psych around it now, she's just like me. I can't. Excuse. Just mean the hype around it. it yes, like likes a, it. yes. I mean the, all the yes. psych up yep. about like yep. you should. This is so good. I think I just no, yeah. I can't. I don't right. want to. It's terrible. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know okay. how we can put the pressure on her. Sure. It's probably that, is it, it maybe too late. I think it's. I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. I think she won't do it now. Yeah. And I even read Leavinger's other batter books. Yes. Still as beautiful at writing. Like, he's still so that good, good but the, line, the plot, yeah. nowhere near as compelling. Are you talking about the last one? Either of them. So Brave, Young, and Handsome yes. or Virgil and Wonder. For, yeah. Neither of them, like, his his prose is still beautiful. Yep. But Peace Like a River is, it harmonizes with the plot. Like, the sure. story is yep. way more beautiful. It's just, yeah. It's just when way, I way better. When I saw that he said about Virgil Wonder that he said something like, it may not be my best, but it's my most evangelical. I don't know. It really hurt me. I thought, oh, no. You're like, you don't even know. You don't even know what evangelical <laughs> yeah, means, Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Because Peace uh, Like a River is way more evangelical. Totally. Like, infinitely more. It's totally. funny. That, yeah, it hurt me a little and bit. And that just tells you that authors don't necessarily know what they're doing. <laughs> Fair enough. Very true. Uh, one, so one maybe little jag that we could do quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in public school and other things like that. I now really love poetry. Yeah. And so I've been trying to think of ways to give poetry to people who may otherwise think like, yeah, what in the world would we do that for? I mean, I remember we convinced my, uh, I was a junior in high school and we convinced my teacher to like, we shouldn't do Shakespeare. You know, it was like in the lessons plan oh, and we really? were like, oh, we'll never like, understand oh. that. Uh, <laughs> and There's nothing that this would yes, ever help us with. Yeah. So, yeah. so anyway, as I, I very much enjoy it now, and you mentioned you enjoy poetry. What what poetry do you enjoy reading? Oh man, I do love Manly Hopkins okay. a lot. Yeah. Um. Lately, man, I've read some. Have you read that Ted Kuzer one about the splitting an order? Yes. Oh, so good. Very fun. So good. Yeah. And there's a lot. What's the one that is Wilbur, Richard yeah. Wilbur? Yeah. His one. I'm pretty sure it's Wilbur about the crow's nests. Yes. When it's yeah, so the trees so yeah. good, yep, yep, and the hay field that yeah. is like that, yeah, it's so yeah. good, love that one. I actually love. So this is a thing that is really sad about poetry now. I we had to read the Mary Oliver, okay, Rules of the Dance or yeah, something of the, of the Dance. dance. That's what I was, yeah, Rules of the yep. Dance. And one of the things she says in the beginning of it is about how the loss it is that school children now are not memorizing poetry, yep, because that sing songy memorization of poetry does a lot to get those meter that rhythm and the meter into your like i had a junior high kid who needed to write a sonnet okay 
And I'm like, always, they're like, it's just hard. I can't, you know, like, it's hard to get into it. I'm like, oh, you just have to, like, start reciting something that is in iambic pentameter right. and just get it going, get the rhythm going. And yep. then and then once you got the rhythm going, write to it, you totally. know, like, get it going. It's a huge help in, in that. Anyways, it's a good, it's a real push for, it doesn't have to be fine poetry that you're making your children. So, yeah, I was going to ask, are there ways in which you incorporated, I mean, I assume it wasn't as something that you thought like, okay, here's a lesson plan for my own kids. But are there um, ways in which you sort of incorporated poetry into like a family setting or? Um, maybe, but not. Yes. I mean, that makes it sound like we're way more intentional about this. Than That's what, yeah. They're, so I, because I, they're at Logos, they're doing classical education. Helps. So in fact, Moses is in first grade right now. That's my seventh child to go through first grade. Okay. And so there is a poem that I have entirely memorized just because my children have memorized it. Uh, it's actually really very Seven good times one. over. What yeah, is it? It's the puffin. Poem. A puffin. Yeah. It's okay. a really good one. Nice. There once was a puffin, just the shape of a muffin, and he lived <laughs> in an island in the bright blue sea. Okay. <laughs> and he ate little fishies that were most delicious, and he had them for supper, and he had them for tea. Anyways, it's a funny one. Okay. It ends, you know, whatever. Yeah. The fish want to be his playmates instead of his lunches. And yeah. Then, and so now they all play together in all sorts of weather. And okay. the puffin eats <laughs> pancakes like you and like me. Um, but that they have learned poetry that way. They have learned it at school. They've sure. learned it in high school. They are reading the Iliad and the Odyssey and talking. Yep. You know, they're, they are learning poetry. <clears throat> they're doing it that way. And in late elementary, they do Shakespeare, they do sonnets, they do, they have to write their own poems. So there's a structured have to learn poetry. Being pushed um, into new areas of poetry just by, because there's a grid. Yes. Yep. So we are, but I would say at home, sometimes I would be like, listen to this. Like yeah. you have to listen to this or talking about what does it mean and how is yep. it, you know. So it is very natural. It's not something yes. that they. Yes. And I, for a little while when I was driving the kids to school, but then now Lena drives oh, right. to school. So things change. I haven't been doing this. There was a poem a day podcast. I yep. think it's Circe. Yep. And um, it's a short podcast and we would listen to it in the car and then discuss it sometimes. Yes. That was like I remember you telling me about do. that. And that was really fun, but we got out of the rhythm of doing that. Yeah. So. Okay. And I have a shared note on my phone where my kids put in their favorite Woodhouse quotes. Oh, nice. So that's not really poetry, but it is metaphors sure. it's a lot Metaphor. of, it's a love of language and words and yep. they're almost all metaphors everything that you think is funny in woodhouse is a metaphor a metaphor it's right makes it funny so no not really formal sure in this but informally yeah we love poetry in our house i'm curious if if somebody came up to you at a conference and was like a mom mm -hmm. or you know, i'm not in school essentially mm -hmm. how do i how would i even get started or interested in something like poetry I actually think the biggest part of enjoying poetry, I would say start with a poet that you know to be good. Start with start with something that is you're not asking yourself the question right. of yeah. is this good? Yeah. Is this like I can't tell. Start sure. with start with an established, a well recognized yes. master of what it not is. Not one that you would probably find like at a Barnes and Noble at the very front. I probably not that. Just pass right by that. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, even things like like yeah. Ozymandias, right? Like yeah. that's just a manifestly brilliant poem. Awesome poem. Just so good. Yeah. And start with a poem like that. And one of the things that I would say is don't think that you're going to read it and get it the first moment that you read it. Like yeah. I think that that's what gets people um, 
bogged down in poetry. Yes. And so read it. Think about it. Go back. Read it again. Like you'll. Well, Ozymandias is a great one because you will get it right away. It it says a thing. You know, you understand (laughs) what it says Right. right away. But then you can go back and look for other ways that the word choice, like what jumps out at you, what is the way that this poet actually chose an unexpected word here that that brings a bunch of other things to mind. I did Gerard Manley Hopkins sometime. I mean, it was a long time ago, probably in high school now. I did a number of like close reads of a bunch of his poems and okay. found that even looking up all of the words, even words that I thought that I knew what they meant, okay. looking it up often showed a lot more artistry like i can think of his the wind hover okay that one is it's about a hawk but there's a lot of you know the words like you would recognize the words but when you look them up a lot of times it's secondary meanings of the words and things that all of a sudden you're like holy smokes this is so much deeper than what i thought it was and stuff and then if you just it's interesting once you do that once you spend the time digging into it and thinking about why they use that word, whatever, then reading it again. It's so edifying. Yes. It's just, it's, it's what really poetry, to... I mean, it's what it's all about. I don't know how you can put it in a, it makes yeah. you see your own life. It makes you see things differently. The wind hover, that poem is about a Falcon, but it's all about, it's talking about a Falcon. Like first it's sort of glorifying what the Falcon is doing, but it's also comparing it to Christ. Like it is a, okay. and, and it is, it's just, an, it's like, and there's, I think there's a part at the end is something fall gall themselves and gash gold vermilion. And people are like, this is, this is about the Lord's Supper. This okay. is about, I mean, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are yeah. we talking about? I mean, right. it's, it's interesting. And I'm not saying that it's not that you have to dig that deep to enjoy it, but really good poetry rewards reading it yep. deeper and thinking about it more. Yep. And that one, I mentioned that Ted Cooser, you know, the one splitting an yes. order. It's about an old couple splitting a sandwich at a diner. Right. And the thing that I love about it is all the things that he's not saying, but that somehow it makes you like you read the poem and you can see what is happening. Yes. But but it's like just that trying to figure out what is it that he's he's calling on some collective experience that we've all had and didn't right. know we had. Like, I mean, I, I just think <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because sure. you're like, this is like I am very present with this couple and it will like choke you up. And then you're like, how did he do that? How am I choked up about an old couple splitting a sandwich? Right. But I am. like, And and I I just think it is, I would say dad would always say Christians are people of the word. So we are people of words. And the beauty and the creative power in words is something that I think Christians should enjoy. Yep. And that that it's a, it rewards your effort to enjoy it. Yes. And as long as you're on the good side of poetry, people that traffic in metaphor, they're the kind of people you want to be. And they're, I'm always edified by the, you mentioned Wilbur. I really like Wilbur. He mm-hmm. is somebody I would like to be like, you know, and it's, it's, he's <laughs> yeah, I because. I like to just state it. He's someone I would like, like to, to be, be <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, no, he's, he, um, his stuff is really great. And I guess it would apply to anyone who, with words. But mm-hmm. who traffics in that? Mm-hmm. There's just a sense of uh, they can see better than me, and I would like yeah. to also see see like. And they who do. was it that metaphor is? Was it Aristotle said metaphor is the sign of genius? Yes. Yeah, and I think it is seeing likenesses 
yes. in things. And, and also because it takes actually looking yep. and looking with, you know, open eyes. And I would say back to the thing about how do we encourage poetry in our house? I would say that that is one of the more counter. We do. I do not think that you encourage actual creative writing like kids who are poetic, I would say, is not the same thing as I'm having a tea party in the afternoon to read poetry with you. And it's not the Lady of the Sh- Lady of Shalott. Sure. And it's not a romantic or a big emotional thing, which is, I think, what keeps a lot of men and boys yes. from thinking poetry has anything uh, yes. for them. But instead, it can be describing something well, laughing at things yes. when you're if you're just driving through town and all your kids bust up laughing because something funny is happening yes. or like, look at that. That to me is way more about cultivating the kind of people who will be able to write poetry right. than, than tea time with mom and the poets, yes. the romantic poets. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh, I showed it to Forrest the other day. We, I, I helped Brian with rhetoric at NSA and we covered a poem called The Writer and it's Wilbur's daughter is writing up. He can hear her on the typewriter in the uh, next room. Have you, uh-huh. have you heard? No. But uh, you can, before I knew who he was, but I felt like, oh, we're about to like careen into sort of like fatherly, father, daughter, mm-hmm. highly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cheese. Uh, Emotional? You're yes. Thinking, are you thinking of? Uh, uh, yeah. The cheese. Uh, uh, yeah. Or what am I thinking of? Um, I don't know. I feel like Flannery O'Connor made fun of it all the time. Sentimentality. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. So like, well, yeah, we're about to. Flannery did. Flannery yes. did go after that. <laughs> no patience. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but it's funny. He says something about, I wish her a lucky passage. And then he talks about, I remember there was a bird that flew into that same room and we went and cracked the window open and then walked out so it would just fly out. And apparently the bird just kept like running into everything. And he says something like humped and bloody. Finally, it cleared like the sill eventually. And then he says like, I always forgot. It's always about life and death with that kind of thing. And now I wish you the same thing, but harder. Oh, It's kind of how it ends, but it's very cool. He could have like careened into. Yeah, he could have made it too much of a. But instead, he was like, "No, it's got to be very difficult. It's got to yeah. be very hard." Or you know, so as long I as I need you're, to read more of him. As I long would. as you're hanging out with people like that, you know, you're like, "Oh, it's 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 very good." I think it's just poetry is good for us because it is well in so many layers. The word, obviously. Yep. The and the fact that there's poetry in scripture. Fact that God God does God did poetry. It, yeah. yeah, and the fact <laughs> that even Adam the first. That that's a poem, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Like 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 first the first dialogue. recorded dialogue yeah. in human history was a poem. Yeah. Like and that I just think that we have to like it. It sometimes there's a lot of things in life that I feel like real moment of true confessions. I don't love mushrooms. I like the taste of mushrooms fine. I don't sure. like the texture of mushrooms. Uh-huh. But I am aware of the fact that I'm wrong. Uh-huh. Right? Like yes. I don't love a mushroom. But that's because <laughs> I'm wrong. Yeah. And and I think like if a if the whole world of great chefs and people who really know cuisine yes. love a mushroom, then you know, you just kind of have to be like I'm not I'm a the wrong one. Trailblazer so, but taste. given that, I won't lean into my own Got the it. fact that I don't love them, I won't lean into that. I won't be like, I hate mushrooms. Correct. I won't eat mushrooms. I won't do, it's like, and I think that sometimes people feel that way. Like it's okay to say I hate poetry. Right. I would never do this or I hate it. And it's like, it's not okay. It's, as we said, in scripture, it's clearly. Uh, God likes it. Yes. And the fact that the second person of the Trinity, the son of God is the word that became yep. flesh and dwelt yep. among us. Like this is a, this is a right thing for Christians to 
right. love and enjoy. And if you don't have a taste for it, then work on that. Work on getting a taste for it. Be better. Yeah, just be more like Wilbur. <laughs> uh, okay. I loved John Donne in, in high school. It was Donne probably that really got me yeah. into poetry. I always I always find Herbert's a very easy recommend to mm-hmm. Christians because he does he doesn't write without he's a clear. Mm-hmm. It's usually it's usually stuff that can translate. Well, easily. but Ho- I think Hopkins is that way, don't you think? Yes, I. But when I sometimes when I look at a Hopkins poem on the page, it's uh-huh. so everywhere that I then it is a little bit everywhere. That's true. But, but I was uh, thinking at least I like it. Um, though. I mean, I, glory true. be to God for dappled things. Yes, I mean. That one's just real good. Yes. Although I never know if it's actually a brinded cow or a brinded cow. You got to figure these things yeah. out before you have these to read it questions. out loud. That's right. Because yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. you get going and you're like, shoot, how yeah. are we going to go with that? What are we saying here? Yeah. But that's why he rewards looking up. Def- like, you know what he's talking about because he's talking about dappled yep. things. And then because uh, he says, I think it says, what is it? Glory be to God for dappled things. For skies as couple colored as a brinded cow, for rose moles all in stipple upon trout that swim, he fathers forth whose beauty has passed all change, praise him or something. Like it's a, it, yes. there's more, there's more in there. I think I skipped parts, but my point is you get the meaning right away. Yeah. But some of those words, if you actually looked them up, you would find out that there's, there's like a lot more to enjoy. It's loaded. Yeah. There's a lot, yeah. there's a lot of hidden treasures in there. And I think with memorizing, it's just like, the same, not the exact same, but a similar experience to memorizing scripture where you think, oh, once I'm once I've memorized it, I'm saying the words back. There's like contours and yeah, you're suddenly and like, there's, hang on. Yes. There's, yeah. And that's true of reading out loud. It's actually a good tip for when you're reading your Bible. If you're having a hard time with it to read it out loud, sometimes right. turns your it changes your own engagement level yep. to like trying to make sense of the. You could just see better. Yeah, you we do. don't really come off the line seeing well. Wow. That's that's true. Yeah. That's that's almost always true. <laughs> We're a bunch of nearsighted. We yeah. don't got it, but I do think that that is that it's well worth pursuing learning those things. It's well worth being like I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna read this. I would imagine that is the the temptation of sentimentality anyways. It's just a lot easier for me to just lay it all on right. the top level. Yeah. You mean sentimentality and poetry? Yes, or, or I would think so because it is if you just play to just the emotions right. that it doesn't. There's no real artistry going on there, right? Because no I imagine, real, yeah, you know, a good poet is not not going for the emotions. They're, no, they are. They're just getting at them a correct. different way. They're like getting at them with a lot of actual effort, deeper, yeah, and like deeper truths. Yeah, you know. Yes. Well, Rachel, thanks for going on that, Jack. That was very fun. Yeah, I guess we... (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Why not just talk about poetry for a little while? We might as well. Uh, Okay, so March webinar. Yeah. The link will be in the bio for everyone to sign up. Uh, Yeah. And we'll hope that I'm now like an old enough mom. I did... I think I said this on our podcast with Becca, but that young moms now often don't want to hear from older moms because their, their idea of what they're doing in motherhood is crafting something that that the older christian mothers are not doing they're like not cool in that world okay. 
right? Yep. So the young Christian moms don't necessarily want to hear the input from like, the older Christian moms. I'm not listening to you by design. Right. But a big part <laughs> of the reason I think that they don't want to hear, and I don't, I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about older moms in their church or older moms that they might know. Yep. They're not, they're like, well, she wouldn't understand. She doesn't have the same style that I have. And I think that that is almost certainly a sign that you need to talk to someone outside of the bubble that you have found yourself in, like yep. that you need to get past. Um, you know, go talk to that woman who has raised faithful children who's in your church, but does not dress in a way that you would want to Instagram. <laughs> she would be, yes. Go talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Like, go find that older woman and say, what do you think of my gender ambiguous baby clothing? Like, go ask, you know, like, there's things. There's things to find out. Do you yeah. think my toddler doesn't sin yet? You know, just, <laughs> just ask. <laughs> she may, yeah, they may not be asking questions they don't want the answer to. But I, I think that that's right. I think that that's true. But scripture, just to say it, this is the point of the webinar is to come back to scripture. It does actually say for the older women to be teaching the younger women and in this area. And so for the younger woman to not want to hear what the older women in their church have to say is a problem. Right. And it goes both ways. There you go. Yeah. You, yeah. You try not to sign up for this webinar after that. You know? <laughs> That's not Consult really what your I meant. Conscience. I'm talking about that older woman in your church. <laughs> yes, but yes. yes. Or you can sign up for the webinar. Awesome. Thanks, right. Rachel. Yeah, for sure. Thanks.